Nalhamdarilam Nahmaduhu wanastainuhu wanastakfiru Wanaudhu billahi min shururi anfusina Wa min sayyati a'malina Man yahdihillah falamudillala Wa man yudlil falahadiyala وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أيها الذين آمنوا تقوا الله حق تقاتي ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارham ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار مرحبا بكم أهلا وسهلا This is class number seven of the sisters' classes where we are covering the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha and we are covering matters of jurisprudence related to women and we are covering benefits from the biographies of the wives of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the mothers of the believers. In the last class, we covered the statement of Allah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. That Allah is the most merciful, the bestower of mercy. And we covered that Allah, Azza wa Jal, is Ar-Rahman, with the entire creation. And Allah Azza wa Jal is Ar-Rahim with the believers. So the Rahman that is connected to the name Ar-Rahman is a general Rahma, is a general mercy. And the Rahman that is connected to the name Ar-Rahim, it is a specific mercy. We also covered at the same time 
This statement, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, is the proof for the pillar, Ar-Raja, hope. We worship Allah Azza wa Jal based upon love, hope, and fear. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, that's the love. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, that's the love. All of the praise is due to Allah, the Lord of the creation. We praise Allah Azza wa Jal based upon our love of Allah Azza wa Jal. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, this is the hope. The most merciful, the bestower of mercy. This is where we have hope in Allah's mercy, for Allah's mercy and reward. As for the fear, then it comes in the statement, Maliki Yawmiddin. The, the owner of the Day of Judgment. So in the Fatiha itself, we have the proof for the three pillars of worship. The three pillars of worship. Al-Mahabba, Al-Raja, Wal-Khawf. The love, the hope, and the fear. One should not lean totally towards the hope to where he depends solely upon the mercy of Allah and he doesn't fear Allah's punishment. And one should not totally lean towards the fear to where he fears Allah so much so that he despairs of Allah's mercy. Rather, one is to combine between both fear and hope. However, the ulama, they say when it comes to the situation where a person is being confronted with a matter of disobedience, in front of him is a sin he desires to commit this act of disobedience. The ulama, they say, in this case, his fear shall overcome his hope. The hope is still there, but the fear should be more now to deter him and repel him from this thing. And when it comes to doing good, the hope shall overcome the fear, which will push him and encourage him to embark upon that act of goodness. But in any event, in all acts of ibadah, both must be present, along with the love. Allah Azza wa Jalla states, Maliki Yawmiddin, and it also can be recited, Maliki Yawmiddin. Both are correct. Maliki Yawmiddin, the owner of the day of recompense, the day of judgment, and Maliki Yawmiddin, the king of the day of judgment. And both recitations are correct. So Allah Azza wa Jal is the owner and the king of the day of judgment. 
in this dunya, you have owners, you have kings. However, however, a person's ownership and a person being uh, a king is restricted and temporary. Different from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah's ownership, Allah's dominion is unrestricted. Allah is the king of all kings. And Allah is the owner of everything. Whereas the kings of the dunya, they are the kings of their lands. That they are over. And the owners and the dunya are the owners of their property, but they're not the owners of the property of someone else. Which is an indication that a person's kingdom and a person's ownership is temporary and restricted. Because when the king dies, he's no longer the king. When the owner dies, he's no longer the owner. When a king is dethroned, he's no longer the king. And when the owner loses his property, he's no longer the owner. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned, يَتْبَعُ الْمَيْتَ ثَلَاثِ Ahluhu Three things follow the dead person. His family, his wealth, and his actions. Two return back and one remains. His family and the wealth go back. And his actions remain with him. So the Prophet is showing that once you die, your wealth is no longer your wealth. The only wealth that you can take with you, the only wealth that you can take with you, is the wealth that you have spent for the sake of Allah Azawajal and it is counted as a good deed. That's the only wealth you take with you. As for the physical wealth that you did not spend for Allah's sake, that goes back with your family. Whereas Allah Azawajal, He is Al-Hayy, the ever-living. Allah Azawajal never departs from his kingdom and his ownership. Different from kings of the dunya and the owners of the dunya. So in understanding that Allah Azawajal is the owner and the king of the day of judgment, this puts fear into the servant of Allah. Because he knows that he has to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
As Allah mentions, showing the two categories of people on the day of judgment. As for the one who transgressed the boundaries and he preferred the life of this world over the hereafter, the hellfire is his abode. But as for the one who feared standing in front of his Lord and prevented himself from following his desires. This individual, the paradise, is his abode. The point here, Barakallah Fikum, Allah described the individual as fearing standing in front of him, meaning on the day of judgment. So when we read Maliki or Medin or Maliki or Medin, that fear should be instilled within our hearts. That we have to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. And what should come as a result of the fear? Preventing ourselves from doing evil. Not just saying we fear standing in front of Allah and then indulging in the haram. That shows that there is a lack of fear or an absence of fear. But the one who truly fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly fears standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, then this is going to be manifested in the person's behavior. This is going to be manifested in the person's speech. This is going to be manif manifested in the person's worship. His whole life you're going to see it. It's going to be present, apparent. Because this person truly fears standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's going to stay away from, or she's going to stay away from, harming people, oppressing people, whether by speech or by actions. Harming oneself, oppressing oneself, whether by speech or by actions. Making sure that one gives Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his rights. All of this comes as a result of the fear. Because the evil was evil. Evil is that you do that which Allah has prohibited or you leave off doing that which Allah has commanded you to do. This is evil. There's no third. Think about it. Evil is either you doing something haram. Allah says don't do this. The Prophet ﷺ says, don't do this, you do it. That's evil. Or you leave off the commandment of Allah that Allah commanded you to do. Meaning to fulfill an act, you don't do the act. Allah says, pray, you don't pray. Allah says, fast, you don't fast. Allah says, pay zakat, you don't pay zakat. Allah says, make hajj, you don't make. That's evil. Allah says, stay away from zina, you indulge in zina. Allah says, don't use intoxicants. You use intoxicants. 
Allah Azza wa Jal forbids backbiting, slandering, you indulge in backbiting and slandering. So these are the two areas of evil. So Allah says, the one, as for the one who fears standing in front of his Lord and prevents himself from doing evil, so this covers both matters, indeed the paradise is his abode. So Allah Azawajal describes himself as Maliki Yawmuddin and Maliki Yawmuddin. Allah Azawajal he states Al-Mulk Yawma Idhin Al-Haq Lil-Rahman وَكَانَ يَوْمًا عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ عَسِيرًا That the dominion on that day of truth is for Ar-Rahman. No, there will be no owners on the day of judgment and no kings on the day of judgment. All of the titles and the ownership of these individuals will be stripped from them. And the dominion remains for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. When we think about this in the situation that will be on the day of judgment, again, there should be fear. Nothing, Barakallah is going to be able to save us on that day. Except the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he mentioned, لَن يُنْجِيَ أَحَدًا عَمَلُهُ No one's actions will no one's actions will save him on that day. In the day of judgment, hereafter, no one's actions will save them. The Sahaba they said, "Wala anta ya Rasulullah, not even you, O Messenger of Allah." The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Wala ana, not even me." Illa an yatagamadani Allahu bi rahmatin, except that Allah will engulf me or cover me up with mercy. So on that day, 
the true, the day of truth, the day where the true sovereignty will be for Allah Azawajal, or Ar-Rahman as Allah describes himself in the verse. And that day will be a hard day for the disbelievers. SubhanAllah bihamdi. It'd be a difficult day for the disbelievers. Why? Because they're headed towards the hellfire. And what difficulty is greater than the difficulty of the punishment in the hellfire? The ulama, when they speak about belief in the last day, They mentioned that from the benefits of believing in the last day is that it affects the person's behavior. It affects uh, the person's lifestyle. Because he knows, or she, and she knows, and he and she both believe that this life is temporary. And the return is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the preparation is there. The preparation to meet Allah is there. And this shows the greatness of Surah Al-Fatiha, Wallah. And how it is the mother of the Qur'an. Because all of the meanings of the Qur'an return back to Surah Al-Fatiha. How many times do we find throughout the Qur'an the reminder of the Day of Judgment? The reminder of ready in oneself and being mindful of what we send forward for our hereafter. All throughout the Quran we have this reminder. But right there in the greatest surah, you have it, Maliki or Medin, or Maliki or Medin. So that day will be a hard day for the disbelievers. due to them living their lives upon disbelief. Due to them turning away from the message of the messengers. They are rewarded for their actions. When the call was presented to them, they were hard. They were not easy with the message and receptive of it. They were not easy with it. They were hard and staunch against it, putting up a wall against it. So Allah will make the day of judgment hard upon them, for them being hard towards His revelation. But those who are easygoing and accepting the revelation of Allah, Allah will make their affair easy on your Maqiyama. Allah Azza wa Jal has a description of being the owner and the king.
And this is in the complete sense, in the dunya as well as in the hereafter. As Allah mentioned, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, that's in the dunya and in the hereafter. And then afterwards, he specifically mentioned Maliki Yawmuddin, which is for the hereafter. But Allah Azawajal, His ownership and dominion is in both worlds, the life of this world as well as in the life of the hereafter. Allah says, يَوْمَ يَأْتِ لَا تَكَلَّمُ نَفْسٌ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِي فَمِنْهُمْ شَقِيٌّ وَسَعِيدٌ On the day that will come and no person shall speak except by the permission of Allah. And from amongst mankind you have those who be wretched and those who are happy. May Allah make us from amongst those who are happy. Ameen. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he stated, يَقْبِضُ اللَّهُ الْعَرْضَ وَيَتْبِ السَّمَاءَ بِيَمِينِ ثُمَّ يَقُولُ أَنَا الْمَلِكَ أَيْنَ مُلُوكُ الْعَرْضِ أين الجبارون أين المتكبرون The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stated that Allah will grab the earth or clench the earth and he will fold up the heavens in his right or by with his right hand and then Allah will say I am the king where are the kings of the earth? Where are the mighty and the arrogant? Where are they? No one will have might on that day. The strongest of the strong will be weak on that day. The greatest of the kings will be a servant, for sure. Again, they should put fear in the individual. Allah Azawajal states, "Liman al-mulk al-yom, lillahi al-wahid al-qahar." Who is the dominion for this day? It is for Allah, the One and the Irresistible. A person, barakallahu fikum. When reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, and he comes across this verse, the person should contemplate over these things. It's not just reciting, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, and just going through. Think about what Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen means. Think about what Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim means. Think about what Maliki or Medin means. And when a person ponders and reflects over the meaning of the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the effect will come. Look at the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he used to perform the night prayer. 
And he would pass by a verse that mentions punishment in the hellfire. And then he will stop the recitation and seek refuge with Allah for the punishment of the hellfire. He will pass by a verse dealing with the paradise or the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He will stop the recitation and ask Allah Azza wa Jal for that mercy and for interest into the paradise. That shows he was pondering and contemplating over that which he was reciting. It wasn't just a recitation. It wasn't just a recitation. This is how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam recited the Quran. Allah Azza wa Jal, he mentions in the Quran, and it says Surah Al-Baqarah, verse number 121, Those who we have given them the book, they recite it with its true recitation. Those are the ones who believe in it. And those who disbelieve in it, those are the ones who are the losers. The scholars they mention, reciting the book with its true recitation has three meanings. Number one, reciting properly. First matter, reciting properly. When one recites the Quran, one should recite the way it has been revealed. Reciting the Quran with the proper tajweed and reciting the letters as they are, not reciting in a manner that changes the meaning. No, one recites the Quran as Allah has revealed it. That's one. The second meaning, reciting the Quran with its true recitation, or the book with its true recitation, meaning one is when he recites, he ponders. He ponders over the meaning. It's just not a verbal recitation. He recites, but at the same time, he's reflecting. And the third matter mentioned by the ulama, that when he recites, or he follows that which he recites. He implements what he recites. So you have the recitation, contemplation, and implementation. These are the three matters. Recitation, contemplation, and implementation. You recite correctly, you contemplate, and you implement. The word ad-deen. Here it means al-jaza wal-hisab. Yawm ad-deen. The day of the deen. Deen here means 
the day of reward and recompense. The day where the people will get that which they are entitled to receive. And no one will be dealt with unjustly on that day. Everyone will get their due. There will be an individual who will come on the day of judgment. And he will say, oh Allah, do not accept the testimony of anyone against you. Not accept the testimony of anyone. Allah will put a seal upon his mouth and make his hands, his body parts speak against him. Allah is just. The deeds of the individuals are written down by the malaika. This will be presented. The earth will speak out against the people. This will be presented. This is not like Barakallah Fikum when a person is standing in front of a judge from the judges of the dunya. And the district attorney has presented some faulty evidence. So now you have a mistrial based upon the technicality. No, so you, you got out of going to jail. This is not that type of situation. What's recorded is what you did and what you said. مَا يَلْفِذُ مِنْ قَوْلٍ إِلَّا لَدَيْهِ رَقِيبٌ He does not utter a word except that there is the angel who is there who is watching diligently and recording diligently. They don't lie on you, write something, saying that you said something or did something from the haram and you didn't do that. These angels are noble. These angels are honorable. So they write what actually has taken place. And from Allah's mercy, when you send, when the servant sends, our deeds are not written down for six hours. The angel doesn't write. When we make, when we commit a sin, say something in haram, do something haram, it's not written down for six hours. If we repent before that period, the act speech is not even written down at all. But if we don't repent before that period, then it's written down. And if we repent afterwards with true repentance, Allah will accept it. Except that that matter is in our book though. But if we repent before that time period, it's not even written in the book to begin with, even though it took place. So again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not wrong anyone on the day of judgment. No one will be dealt with unjustly. Everyone will get their due.
as Allah Azzawajal mentions, وَمَا أَنَا بِظَلَامِ لِلْعَبِيدِ And I am not one who oppresses the servants. Allah doesn't oppress anyone. Allah Azzawajal mentions about Himself, يَا عِبَادِي إِنِّي حَرَّمْتُ أَذْظُنْمَ عَلَى نَفْسِي وَجَعَلْتُهُ مُحَرَّمًا بَيْنَكُمْ فَلَا تَظَالَمُوا O my servants, indeed, I have made oppression forbidden upon myself, and I have made it forbidden amongst you, so do not oppress one another. We move on to the matters of jurisprudence connected to the woman. Bismillah, alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi وَأَصْحَابِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ أَمَّا بَعْدٍ Now in the last class we are left off with the narration on the authority of Umm Walid li Ibrahim ibn Abdul Rahman ibn Auf Annaha sa'alat umma salama zawjan nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Faqalat inni Imra'atun utilu dhaydi Wa amshi fil makan al-qadr Wa amshi fil makan al-qadr فقالت أم سلمة قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يطهره ما بعده. So the mother of the child of Ibrahim ibn Abdurrahman ibn Auf, she asked Um Salama, the wife of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. She said, "Indeed, I'm a woman who has her garment is long." I make, my, I make my garment long, meaning at the bottom. So the tail end of her garment, it drags on the floor. And she says, I walk in a place where there are impurities or filth. And Umm Salama, she said that the Prophet wasallam stated, that which comes after it will purify it. So she walks to an area that is not clean and there is some impurities there and then afterwards she walk in the area that's clean so if some impurity gets upon her garment then it will be clean by the clean earth that comes after it that she walks in so we covered that if uh, something of impurity gets upon her garment and then she walks in that clean area and then it gets it off, then the garment is clean. However, if the impurity remains upon the garment after walking in that clean area, then she has to clean it off herself. Some scholars hold that this is only talking about dry impurities. So the dry, uh, clean earth will clean it off. Others have said, no, it's any impurity. The point is that 
the matter is removed after walking in the clean area. So in any event, if a woman walks in an area where there is impurity and afterwards she walks in an area that is clean and then there's nothing visible there on the garment, the garment is clean. And she can pray in the garment. Likewise, the purification of one's footwear. We have the narration on Abi Sa'id, radiallahu an, anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal, idha jaa ahadukum ila al-masjid, falyandu, fa'an ra'a fi na'alayhi qadaran aw adhan, falyamsahu, walayusalli fihima. Abu Sa'il al-Qudri radiyallahu an He stated that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that when one of you comes to the masjid then let him look at his footwear if he sees on his footwear some filth or impurities, then let him wipe it, and then let him pray in his footwear, meaning on the ground. Because the earth is a means of purification. As the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned, وَجُئِلَتْ لِي الْأَرْضُ مَسْجِدًا وَطُهُورًا That the earth has been made for me a place of prayer and a purification. And this is something that is specifically for this Ummah. As the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this statement when he was mentioning the things that Allah gave to him but didn't give to the previous Prophets. And that is the earth has been made as a place of prayer. So whenever the prayer comes in, wherever we are we can pray except for those places that are prohibited for us to pray in. And in the latter classes, inshallah ta'ala, we'll cover those places. But like as an example, the cemeteries, or the places where the people relieve themselves, or in the stables of the camels. These are places we are not allowed to pray. But other than that, we can pray anywhere in the world, anywhere on the earth. The prayer or the acceptance of the prayer is not based upon it being prayed in the masjid or not. Different from the previous nations. They only were allowed to pray in the places that they that were built for the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They could not pray outside. Alhamdulillah Allah He has removed that from us and we can pray anywhere. And likewise the earth is a place of purification. Naam the earth is a place of purification. Meaning tayammum. When there is no water, we can use the clean earth for the dry ablution. The previous nations did not have this. They only were allowed to use water. So if there was no water, they could not pray. Different from, different from us, 
there's no water we can pray. And likewise, alhamdulillah, the earth is a purification for the impurities, the najasa. Another matter, barakallah fikum, is purifying oneself or purifying one's garment, I should say, from pre-seminal fluid that comes as a result of being aroused. Just as the men, they have this, the women, they also have this. When a woman is aroused by her husband, this pre-seminal fluid comes out of her. And the ulama, they say, it is more so with the woman than the men. But what does she do if this gets upon her garments? We have a narration on authority of Sahl ibn Hunayf. قَالَ كُنْتُ أَلْقَى مِنَ الْمَذِي شِدَّةً وَعَنَاءً وَكُنْتُ أُكْثِرُ مِنْهُ الْإِقْتِصَامِ فَذَكَرْتُ ذَلِكَ لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَقَالَ إِنَّمَا يَجْزِيكَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ الْوُضُوءِ فَقُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ كَيْفَ بِمَا يُصِيبُ ثَوْبِ مِنْ قَالَ يَكْفِيكَ أَنْ تَأْخُذَ كَفًّا مِنْ مَاءٍ فَتَنْضَحَ بِهِ ثَوْبَكَ حَيْثُ تُرَى أَنَّهُ قَدْ أَصَابَ مِنْ So Sahl ibn Hunayf, he said, I was a person who used to have a lot of pre-seminal fluid coming out of me. And it was, it was strong, it was a lot. And I used to make a lot of ghusl. So it would come out strong, he would go take a ghusl. And he said he did this a lot. So he mentioned that to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Indeed, the wudu will suffice you from that. Meaning by that, you don't have to make the ghusl when pre-seminal fluid comes out of you.
one may think that this is similar to when a person has semen coming out of them or an ejaculation. The ejaculation necessitates the ghusl. Whether during having relations or from the wet dream and the traces of it are seen. The traces of it are seen. So the ejaculation and the exit of the semen and it comes out differently as the scholars they mention the semen comes out with force and along with that force there is a pleasure that the body experiences different from pre-seminal fluid sometimes it can come out you don't even realize it has come out the rulings are different in relation to purification The ejaculation necessitates the ghusl. Some may think it's the same thing for the pre-seminal fluid. But it's not. So when the Sahabi, radiallahu an, he had this condition, he went to the Prophet, sallallahu and mentioned that to him. And it shows the importance of returning affairs back to the scholars so that we can get the correct ruling on what to do in that situation so that we do not do something that we don't have to do and then overburden ourselves. So Allah Azawajal mentions, فَسَلُوا أَهْلَ ذِكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of knowledge when you don't know. Because when you go off for your own, Understanding and feelings or what you think is supposed to be done is a possibility you may be doing something that Allah hasn't commanded you to do. And now you're putting an unnecessary burden upon yourself. So alhamdulillah, the sahabi he went to, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned the affair to him. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that the wudu will suffice you in that. Meaning you don't have to uh, make the ghusl. Every time this takes place. And along with the, the ghusl, I mean, excuse me, the wudu, a person should wash, or a person has to wash one's privates, the istinja. Anything that comes out of the privates, it breaks the wudu. But if something impure comes out of the privates, you have to wash uh, the privates. Because the matter is impure. So in the other narration with Ali bin Abi Talib, he said, Kuntu rajulan madha'ah wa kuntu astahyi an as'ala an nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لِمَكَانِ بِنَتِهِ فَأَمَرْتُ الْمِقْدَادِ إِبْنَ الْأَسْوَدِ فَسَأَلَهُ 
فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يغسل ذكره ويتوضا علي بن ابي طالب رضي الله عنه said i was a man who used to have pre-seminal fluid coming out of him a lot so i was shy to ask the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam about this due to the status of his daughter meaning fatima because he's married to her so he's, uh, he's he has some shame or shyness i should say asking the prophet about this so he did but look at this he didn't just remain having the state and not find out what's the ruling even though he himself didn't go to the prophet to ask he sent the companion al-Miqdad ibn al-Aswad to ask so if if you are a person you are shy and ashamed to ask about your situation then send someone to ask on your behalf or send the question in a manner where you are anonymous no one knows that you are the questioner <coughs> the point is that you have to get the knowledge so he sent al-miqdad ibn al-aswad so he asked the prophet sallallahu and the prophet said that the man is to wash his privates and then make wudu and that's for the pre-seminal fluid so sahl ibn hunayf he asked the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam o messenger of allah what about oh how what am i to do when it gets upon my garment meaning the pre-seminal fluid the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said it will suffice you to take a handful of water and then throw it on the place that you see that the pre-seminal fluid got on from your garment take a handful of water and put it on it and that will suffice now so this is the ruling not only for men but also for the woman as the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said an-nisa shaqa'iq ar-rijal the women are the twin halves of men and what is meant by they are the twin halves of the men whatever goes for the men goes for the women except in the case when there is a proof that this matter is specifically for the men or the matter is specifically for the women other than that the origin is that the rules and regulations that go for men are the same rules and regulations that go for the women we move on to the benefit from the biography of the wives of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam bismillah alhamdulillah والصلاه والسلام على نبينا محمد وعلى اله واصحابه اجمعين اما بعد in the last class 
we were still covering some benefits from the life of our mother Khadija radiallahu anha and we left off with the narration on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha دخلت امرأة سوداء على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فأقبل عليها فقلت يا رسول الله أقبلت على هذه السوداء هذا الإقبال فقال إنها كانت تدخل على خديجة وإن حسن الأهد من الإيمان Aisha radiallahu anha, she mentioned that a, a dark-skinned woman entered upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam turned to her and received her in a great manner. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she stated, O Messenger of Allah, you receive this dark-skinned woman in such a manner? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, indeed, she used to enter upon Khadijah. Meaning this is one of the friends of Khadija. And indeed, the good covenant in dealing with people is from faith. So we covered that there is another narration that mentioned that an older woman, an elderly woman entered upon the Prophet ﷺ and he turned to her in a great manner and received her in a great manner and he actually fed her from his the food he took his hands and he was giving her the food with his blessed hand sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Aisha said oh messenger of Allah like, don't put too much food in your hand the Prophet said indeed this is from like the friends of Khadija she used to enter upon Khadija and the good covenant when dealing with people is from faith and we covenant now it appears and Allah knows best that this woman, her name was Has, the Prophet named her Hassana. Hassana. And the point or the points of benefit that were mentioned from this incident that number one, Khadija radiallahu anha, she was not a racist woman. As the narration mentions that she was a dark-skinned woman. And you may find that in certain regions, the darker-skinned people were not treated the best. Perhaps them being slaves, or even free, but because of the skin color. And this is from the affairs of Jahiliyyah. But Khadija radiallahu anha, this wasn't her mannerisms. Even though she was the best of the woman in status, the best of the woman in lineage, she was a woman who was rich. This is her friend. This is her friend. And the Prophet ﷺ himself likewise, he was not one who was racist. As she entered upon him in his home, and he honored her. Racist individuals don't allow the likes of the people who they look down upon to enter into their home and to eat from their food and to sit at their table because they view themselves as being superior.
This is not the mannerisms of the Prophet ﷺ. This wasn't the mannerisms of his wife Khadija radiallahu anha. And this shouldn't be the mannerisms of us. Regardless of skin color or geographic location, we honor our Muslim brothers and sisters. We do not look down upon our Muslim brothers and sisters. And likewise, the description of the woman being elderly. The elderly, unfortunately, are neglected in many societies. And they're not given their due respect. So you find that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, لَيْسَ مَنْ لَمْ يُوَكِّرْ كَبِيرُنَا وَيَرْحَمْ صَغِيرُنَا وَيَعْلَمْ حَقَّ عَالِمِنَا That whoever does not respect our elders, have mercy upon our youth, and acknowledge the right of the people who are knowledgeable amongst us, he's not from us. So this is from the religion, to respect the elders, to be merciful to the youth, and to acknowledge the rights of the scholars that they have over us. So Khadija radiallahu anha, she was a humble woman. She was a woman who accepted as her friend one who many would have rejected due to skin color. And barakallahu feekum, we don't want anyone to misunderstand. We're not on no pro-black black power methodology here. This is a benefit from the narration. As you unfortunately you find today some of the callers who are of African American descent they put this great focus upon the plight of the black man and the black Muslims and I'm for my people. This is not the way of the Prophet wasallam. The Prophet wasallam didn't just come for the Arab. He came for the Arab and the non-Arab. The Prophet wasallam's message of social rectification wasn't restricted for the Arab, it was for the Arab and the non-Arab. And this is clear throughout the proofs and evidences from the Quran and the Sunnah. It's not about one particular race. So this methodology or ideology that some of the brothers have, well, if you're black, then you stick with the black people. If you're white, you talk to the white people. No, it's the one who has knowledge. Teach the people, period. As an example here, at Masjid Nu'Allah, alhamdulillah, we have a mixed community. Me, personally, I'm of African-American descent, mixed with... Native American and other stuff, but majority of African American descent. Now, if I say I'm only going to focus on the African Americans, that's not a lot of people here in this community. We have the Africans here, and, and they're my people, right? I'm, I'm from them originally. If you keep going back, you're shaking laughing. <laughs> but now, the point is, so we want to leave off the brothers who are from Uzbekistan, who are from Bukhara, and the brothers who come here who are from Yemen, and we have some Saudi brothers coming, brothers who are from Bangladesh, Pakistan, we're going to ignore them, the brothers who are from Russia actually, but alhamdulillah they are Muslims, we have some brothers that are from 
the Philippines who come here, from Malaysia who come. We have different people who come here. So what, I'm only going to focus on the African Americans and then leave the rest. The message is one message. There's nothing that has taken place in the history of African Americans and African people in general that has not been addressed by way of the Quran and the Sunnah. Just like there's nothing that has taken place in the history of any ethnic group that has not been addressed by way of the Quran and the Sunnah. The Quran and the Sunnah is for all people. So there's no special, uh, special message for the black man. So we have to use a special technique to teach the black man. Because any social ill that the black man has, the African American people have, the source of it is the shaitan. The shaitan is the one who brings corruption in the society by whispering to the people to do evil. Regardless of what you, what social ill it is, you go back, the origin is the shaitan. Allah has exposed the plot of the shaitan throughout the Quran. Allah Azawajal has given us the guidance to protect ourselves or ourselves from the plot of the shaitan. So again, the African American people we do not have no special unique situation that has not been addressed by way of the Quran and the Sunnah. There's no social ill that we have as a people that's going to make the African American Imam turn away from the, the Muslim community and only focus on the African American people when there are much more people who are in need of teaching. We don't have enough qualified uh, imams who can teach the people the correct understanding of the deen. So why limit it? You are an African-American brother. Allah has blessed you with knowledge. Why limit your teachings to only the African-American people? Teach the people. Educate the people. When Umar ibn Khattab, he had um, came across a governor... from Mecca and he asked him who did you leave behind over the people of Mecca and he mentioned that he left behind a man I'm trying to find the actual narration so it benefit the people and this is subhanAllah a very important point now it says here That Nafi ibn Abdul Harif al-Khuzai, he was a man who Umar had placed over Mecca. So Umar met him in a different place. And he said, who did you put over the people of Mecca? 
He said, I put Ibn Abza, he's a mawla for us. <coughs> and this can mean that he's a freed slave or from amongst the slaves. So Umar, he said, you put a mawla over these people, over the people of Mecca. And he said, إِنَّهُ قَارِئِ لِكِتَابِ اللَّهِ عَالَمْ بِالْفَرَائِدِ He said, indeed, he is one who is a reciter of the Book of Allah, and he is knowledgeable of the obligations. Qari here doesn't mean one who just recites. In that time, Qari was different from Qari today. So Umar, he said, إِنَّ النَّبِيَّكُمْ قَدْ قَالَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَرْفَى بِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَقْوَامًا وَيَضْعُ بِهِ آخَرِينَ Umar ibn Khattab, he stated, Indeed Allah جل, he raises up a people by way of this book and he lowers others by way of it. What's the point here? This was a slave or a freed slave, former slave. He didn't say, well, you're not from the Arab, so I can't put you over the Arab to teach them because only an Arab should teach an Arab. No, the issue was he was qualified because of his knowledge. And he was over all of the people of Mecca and taught all of them. So it's not about barakallah fikum, the color of the skin. And each people should just stick with their people. That leads to division in the community. So an African-American imam, he's invited to an Indo-Pak community. He's not going to go because those are not his people. It's division. An Indo-Pak Imam, MashaAllah, man of the Sunnah, he can't be invited to an African-American community to teach the people the Quran and Sunnah, he's qualified. That's division. And then this, the, the funny thing, you find these same individuals who's pushing this type of uh, program, when they're invited to other communities, big conferences where the people are not predominantly African-American and they're getting some a nice envelope. You find them showing up. What happens to teaching your people then? Oh, it's a big conference. And there's a fat envelope at the end. Because if it's about your people, then don't go to those conferences then. Because the majority of the people at those conferences are not African-American. Don't go. Let the people... Who are representing the majority, let them teach their people then. If that's your mentality. People play games with the religion. Well, I, this is not allowed in the religion. Alhamdulillah. Our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and our mother Khadija radiallahu anha 
they are from the best of the people. And their example is the best of examples. So we have the narration where Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned مَا غِرْتُ لِلنَّبِي عَلَىٰ إِمْرَأَةً مِنْ نِسَائِهِ مَا غِرْتُ عَلَىٰ خَدِيجَ لِكَثْرَةِ ذِكْرِهِ إِيَّاهَا وَمَا رَأَيْتُ وَمَا رَأَيْتُهَا قَطْ Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned I never was jealous of any of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as I was jealous of Khadija due to him mentioning her in abundance. And she said, and I never saw her. And I never saw her. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as was covered, he would mention Khadija in abundance due to her great virtue, and this is even after her death. Look how much he honored Khadija. We have the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha, and this was when the people of Mecca they had sent to ransom their prisoners from the Prophet ﷺ. So his daughter Zainab, she was married to Abil As ibn Rabi'a. And he was one of the captives, one of the prisoners of war. So the Prophet ﷺ has the husband of his wife captive as a prisoner of war. What did she do? She sent a necklace that was given to her by Khadija or that she had from Khadija to free her husband. So when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Seeing this necklace, it's soft in his heart. Now the prisoner is a kafir. The daughter sends the necklace to free her husband. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sees the necklace it's an emotional time now because the necklace reminds him of who? Khadija. Now this shows the great love he had for her. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said in ra'aytum أن تطلقوا لها أصيرها وتردوا عليها الذي لها فافعلوا The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said to the people if you see 
that you want to release her prisoner and return back to her that which is hers, then go ahead and do it. قَالُوا نَعْمِ يَا رَسُولُ As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam his love for Khadija radiallahu anha was a great love. And the daughter sending that necklace reminded the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam of her. And it had an effect upon his heart. But look how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam addressed this matter. He says to the people, if you see that you want to release her prisoner and return back to her what's hers, then go ahead. As he didn't want to just force the matter, but the people understood, they see his, his state. And alhamdulillah, this is the respect that the Sahaba, they had for the Prophet ﷺ. You know, even though he didn't say what he wanted to do directly, they understood and they carried it out. And they freed him and returned the necklace. As the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een, they knew the love that the Prophet sallallahu had for Khadijah. Normally if a person is held captive, when the ransom is paid, the ransom is kept. The prisoner is released. You keep the ransom. The prisoner in the ransom go back. Allah Akbar. This is a great love right here. <laughs> Send the necklace back. If, if you see that's what y'all want to do. Release her prisoner and send her, and send her property back. Send her necklace back to her. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum, out of their great respect and love and honor, uh, for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they said, yes, O Messenger of Allah, فَأَطْلَقُوهُ وَرَضُّوا عَلَيْهَا الَّذِي لَهَا so they released him and they gave back to her what was hers, meaning they released him and sent back the the necklace. This shows Barakallah Fikum. Why Allah Azawajal states, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And indeed, you, O Muhammad, you are upon exalted character. Wallahi, when you study the life of the Prophet ﷺ, you see how his character is. And he was upon exalted character. And likewise, the biography of his wives, the biography of the Sahaba in general, you're going you're gonna to benefit tremendous benefits. And this is why the ulama, they... Encourage us to study the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ and the seerah of the Salaf al-Salih, the righteous predecessors.
Inshallah Ta'ala, we'll stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah Azawajal alone. And whatever is incorrect, it is from myself. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shalom wa la ilaha ila anta staghfiruka wa atubu ilayka.